Hello, Professor Chapman. Talk to Don. <laughs> so, so, so Ben, we have a, we have a special guest today. Special guest, special guest. I love it. Hello. Hello. Hi, special guest. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You, you may you may be able to tell that this is uh, um, you know er, somewhat early uh, in the week on Monday when uh, Don and I uh, remain jovial and uh, <laughs> excited uh, for food safety, not not cynical um, and uh, and jaded. Uh, and Wait, are you uh, saying we get cynical and jaded? Well, I get. I, don't, I do. I do. You don't show it. You no, hide it very well. I, I try to hide. Try to hide it. But I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I have one of those mornings where um, it's like a weird, ho- like vacation holiday day, but not really. Where my kids are off. Oh right, and, right. And, and but yeah. but I'm not. And um, so no, like all of our schedule is out of whack. So I I like slept in and and then uh, I feel very refreshed. Oh wait! So you're recording from your home office? No, I went to my no? office because there's about forty kids in my house right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's like all the neighborhood kids coming to my house and uh, shoot pucks in the driveway and play PlayStation and uh, harass the dog, all of those things. So I, I decided to leave, um, to, so so I could record a podcast. Oh, well, I'm I'm so glad you could join us. So, so Ben, I forget it, because we're professional podcasters. Um, I I forget how much I've told you about our guest. You you've told me you've told me okay uh, yeah, so a little bit so so Rachel, would you as so again because we're professional podcasters, none of this is planned. Um, would you uh, because you're familiar to me and to Ben? Yeah, you might not, you're probably not until this episode familiar to the guests of our podcast. So why don't you rather than me cobble together some half-assed introduction? Why why don't you if you would if you would be so kind, uh, take a few minutes and just introduce yourself to uh, the listeners of our podcast in in the way that you would like. Sure. Um, so what I do is I run um, a website called Eater or Toss. Um, I approach it as a journalist. I am a journalist and I, um, take images of food that, um, somebody who encounters in their kitchen might be suspicious of. Um, so, uh, this could be, um, an apple with spots they're not expecting to see if they cut open a pepper and some of the seeds look kind of funny, um, chocolate that gets that kind of bloomy look. Um, so I take those images and then I call up people like you guys to try to understand what's going on. And then I write it up on eater toss. Um, and that's, that's essentially it. I got into this because I, um, was really frustrated because I would get food that made me unsure and I didn't want to make myself sick or make my husband sick. Um, but I also really didn't want to waste food because food waste is such a big issue. Um, and so I was kind of like stuck in this funny place. And at the time we were getting this farm share where we just kept getting some really strange stuff. <laughs> um, and, and I, to be fair, I, I think that some of the stuff in this farm share had been was a little bit older than maybe it should have been. Um, and I think that might've been a little bit of what we were seeing, but, um, yeah, so I just started taking pictures of things and researching as much as I could. And, and it was so interesting. And I, I just, I, I found that, I mean, which probably won't surprise you guys, a lot of the things that to me as a, an average consumer looked kind of alarming, um, in many cases were just kind of plant physiology. And, and I loved getting into those stories and just learning more about 
how fruits and vegetables work um, and and how you know certain circumstances in the field can cause something to change a different color and it's fine um, and occasionally it's not and that's good to know about too um, and yeah so that's that's it and so now this is what I do and I just have a blast doing it and um, Don recently helped me out with some posts about bugs in food which is <laughs> a new area I'm very excited to start writing about that um, yeah literally just to be clear literal literal bugs, bugs not not yes, not not yes. uh, microorganisms oh, right. which we also yes. colloquially to refer to as bugs but that, literal a, literal entomo- entomological Entomological bugs? Yes. Et, not yeah. etymo- etymological. That would be the origin Et, of or, it. But, uh, <laughs> do you mean edamame? Everything it... happened at once. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that occurred to me as you were talking about it. I was like, oh, well, bugs to me are just insects. But then I know on Twitter you're, I think, bug counter. Bu- bug counter, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, so predictive like, microbiologist well, no, was, was too long. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Total. Makes total sense. Um, so, Yeah. Cool. Well, that's it in a nutshell. That, thanks for for joining us. And Don yeah. and I, and I mean, you might might know a little bit about it. We've mentioned your website a few times um, on um, on the podcast. Um, and Thank I've, you. You're welcome. Uh, but I, but I've also <laughs> followed it. And one of the one of the ones um, that uh, as soon as I as soon as Don kind of connected me with eatertoss um, dot com, one of the things that I looked up was a question that I got. Um, uh, or that that came came across my desk like 15 years ago, um, and and you you kind of categorize sort of this this issue about plant physiology and safety and things that look weird, and it was um, uh, a question about um, like opening up a tomato and seeing a whole bunch of sprouted seeds inside of it. Yeah. And, and it's a really, like, it's a really cool one. I, so my, and I, I don't, I don't know if I've shared this with you, Don, um, at all, but, um, but as a little bit of background, I used to, so my, my undergrad, the, my, all my degrees were done at this, um, uh, university in, in Canada, the university of Guelph, which is like a, an agricultural school similar to NC state and similar to, um, to Rutgers. Uh, but my home department was plant agriculture and, um, the, my, um, my professor, my, my mentor, uh, Doug Powell was, that's where his, that was his home department. And so that's where our graduate program was. Um, and we ran this, um, information center, like a toll free number that Canadians could call for food safety questions. And, and there was like a website, um, Anyway, one of the questions that came through that information center when I was in graduate school was like this exact one that you answered on on your website, which is I cut open a tomato and all of these weird sprouts, like the seeds are sprouting. What happened to my tomato? Can I eat it? Is it, you know, and I mean, essentially asking the question, eat or toss. Um, And and I I didn't know like I when I was sort of straddling this line of of plants and and food safety and it took me a bunch of digging um to to find the answer to this and so when you know when don sort of mentioned you know, you're i mean i think you'd asked some questions and he'd uh, uh shared eater toss and we talked about it i was that was literally the first question that i went to i was like oh i bet i bet rachel's dealt with this like spread sprout seed question and you had um yeah so it's a, it's a really oh, i'm fascinating so glad <laughs> Yeah, I think one thing I found when one of the reasons I started doing it is that a lot of these questions I couldn't find answers to online. Right. And and that's one of them. I mean, there you have some of this is if you 
search hard enough, it's tucked into little pockets of the internet. But um, yeah, I couldn't find a central place where I could compare an image with what I was seeing. Um, and I'm so glad that there was a specific question and that Eater Toss has the answer for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was, it was the first, like, literally the first thing that I thought about was like, oh, I, I wonder if this, you know, if there's pictures of this. Because I, I just remember, I don't have that question, you know, it's not, it's not still in my, in my email. But I remember the, the inquirer um, had sent a bunch of pictures. Like, in this time, it wasn't like digital pictures. Like, someone had scanned these pictures. In, and I remember it being, like, just oh. so crazy looking. And I was like, oh, I have no idea what's what's up with this um and so and you have some you have, you have a really nice picture on um on the website of what what that looks like at the start where these sprouts are coming out of um uh, out of the seeds and and it's you know, really has to do with ripening and um and you know basically the seeds are, are 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 growing trying you know similar to what you would see in in nature you know that the fruit of the the um tomato would get you know, deposited, fall off a tree, you know, the vine and, and end up growing. It's, it's essentially happening within the fruit as before the, the outside of the fruit decays, which is, it's just fascinating stuff. Yeah. So yeah you know, it's, it's funny, Ben, your, <clears throat> your comment made me think about looking up one, one of the questions that I got uh, early on in my, my days as an extension specialist and was a, was a bit of a stumper. And again, you know, to put it in perspective, this was pro- in, in many ways, I mean, the internet was just, was just starting. And so it wasn't always possible to look stuff up. And, and the question I got was about garlic, um, uh, turning blue. Now, now Rachel, it looks oh, yeah. like you have something on, uh, garlic turning green. Um, when you, and, and what it is, is harmless chlorophyll and eater toss the answer, the verdict is eat, uh, exclamation mark. Um, but, but, but I don't, I don't know that you necessarily got into, uh, the blue garlic. And I did do a little bit, quick bit of searching here and cooks illustrated has something, uh, that talks about why, uh, when, especially when you acidify garlic, it turns blue. And, it, and again, it may have something to do with the, with the green color and the, and the chlorophyll reaction with, with pH, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually, I haven't, I, I've wanted to write about garlic turning blue and I, it hasn't happened for me. So I don't even have a picture <laughs> of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have written about, um, uh, red onions turning green or like kind of like a greenish blue, um, huh. which is, a like an acid based thing. It's really cool. Um, and, and that one I first noticed, I was, um, having brunch somewhere in New York and, um, there was like a egg, lox onion scramble and the the onions looked kind of like um gemstones they were like in this like transition between purple and greenish blue um some of them are really pretty um and i was like what is this um and, and it's um eggs are uh, hopefully i'm getting this right because i'm not looking at the post but um they're just basic enough exactly to, yep. to react with the pigment and um yeah um, and I've, I've had a couple times where I, uh, you know, I, I think the first time this happened to me, um, was even before that New York trip and I was making, uh, just fried rice at home. And instead of turning this pretty color that I saw at that brunch, they, they turned kind of this like really sad, um, <laughs> dirty green, which is kind of unappetizing. And, and that concerned me a little bit, but you know, we didn't worry about it too much, but then it just was really fun to write about, um, and that one I've done with kids where we'll take a purple onion and then rub some baking soda on it, put it in the microwave, and then instantly it's this, like, horrible green color. Um, and it's it's just fun. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so. that's, that's cool. Yeah, so I am looking at your website, and, yeah, and it, it, it really does look very gross and unappetizing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but I think it's so cool that you can 
change color like that for something that's, um, you know, it's a, such a nice purple color and it really doesn't take much to switch things over. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, I mean, I think you, you straddle this really interesting space that, that Don and I are sometimes in, which is the, the science of, of why things happen, right? Like, so people in their yeah. kitchens recognize stuff and they see it. They don't maybe often know, you know, what, what to do with it, but, but then del- delving a little further into the why, um, I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've noticed being in, in food safety for a while is, is it, it used to just be, tell me what to do with this. And, and now, and I, you know, the, the rise of just easily finding information online, but not being able to parse it, um, because there's so much out there, uh, you know, often the questions then turn to, okay, well, why did this happen? And, and let me, you know, make, let me as an individual make a decision on whether I think the risk is based on how well you explain why the why. Um, and yeah, it's, you're, you're in a real, um, uh, yeah, interesting corner of, of food and food science and, and waste, um, and, and really like risk perception, which is an area that, that I do a lot of study on uh, and, and, you know, how to, how do consumers, um, make decisions, um, on, on risk and, and why? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because that's something that I've, um, kind of learned more about when I first started doing this, I thought it would be a lot of yes or no's. Um, and then it, particularly as I got more into the, the types of things that you guys deal with, um, just getting that sense of how much it is understanding the situation enough to make an informed choice. Um, that was kind of like a light bulb moment for me that I honestly wasn't expecting it to be, to be so gray so often. Um, and, and yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying as well about getting into the why. Cause I know that's, that's really what I was looking for. I didn't want somebody to say like, Oh, if you're not sure, just throw it away. Um, because I really didn't want to waste food and I wanted to know like, well, why? And it's, it's, I just find it so reassuring to understand what happened to the plant to cause something to look strange. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, that it's, yeah. I mean, part of, part of it is as that there's an answer out there, right? Like it's not just an unknown anomaly that just happened to me as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, um, I, I totally, I, I totally agree. Um, so, so in some real time follow up, Don dropped off the call. Um, he lost internet. Um, oh, no. yeah, no, no. So, so anyway, I, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll split, he'll, he'll join, um, here in a second when he gets back up. Um, but, uh, but we can edit, uh, edit this, um, a little bit. So I'll keep, okay. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna keep talking with you. Um, okay. Great. so, so tell, I guess, um, I'm always interested in, in how people get into this. And you mentioned that you, you're, I guess, a, a journalist by, by trade or, or by history. And, and how, tell me, like, how did you end up covering, covering food or, or were you covering other things and food was an interest? Like, how did, how did you make a decision? Like, you know what, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into, to running, running this website and, and actively um, procure, procuring questions and, and like, just give, give me a little more, a little more background on that. Yeah. So it, it really was, um, I just had all of these questions and was really interested and, and saw a gap where there wasn't, I just assumed that there would be a resource out there that would answer these questions and and have images. And then when it wasn't there, uh, I thought, well, okay, I have the skills 
to start something. Like I know how to find experts and interview them and write up what they say. So let me start trying that and see how it goes. Um, and people were pretty responsive. And so then I just kind of kept going (laughs) and, um, and that's, that's mostly it. I mean, it's been nice, um, that, you know, to get the response and to, to get kind of the support from people who read and then also in the, the food waste community um, here in D.C. Uh, where I'm based, I'm part of something called the D.C. Food Recovery Working Group, um, which is a, a we get together about uh, once a month where all volunteers and everybody involved in the group works on um, food waste from a, a different angle. Um, so there's people there who do um, food rescue, you know, like after catered events, um, also people who work for various various government agencies and uh, nonprofits and, and having that community of people who are, are also working on food waste also helped kind of give me the support to keep building Eater Toss and to know that, you know, people were into it and getting something out of it. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's mostly it. And then it just kind of kept going and continuing to go. And I have so many things that I still want to write about, um, I have this massive Google Drive of um, images that are waiting for me to get to them, to write them up, and to find the right expert. So awesome! Awesome. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What's your? Um, I guess what's the what's the craziest question um, that you that you've had uh, that you've that you've answered? What you know? The, I guess the one that they're like, oh man, I didn't even. I didn't, when I started this, I didn't even expect that someone was going to ask this. Um. Well, okay, so I'm not going to go with something that somebody's asked because the one that jumped to mind is actually the one that I just worked on and worked on with Don. Oh, <laughs> so, perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. No spoilers, um, man. No spoilers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, um, the, the, uh, the worm in the turnip, I mean, that's just really gross. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I, I loved working on it and I'd, I'd been wanting to do something like that for a while. And, um, uh, I think because we have, there's such a cringe factor involved with that. And it just seems like it's something that's horribly disgusting and that you want nothing to do with, um, (laughs) that paired with the fact that like, if you cut around it, it's really okay. Uh, I think is just so cool. Um, and such a, um, I don't know. I, I, one thing I really enjoy with this is when you can show somebody something that just looks horrible and that makes you want to run away from it and say, actually, this isn't as bad as it looks. And, and there's a way around it. And I think where, I mean, another big takeaway I've gotten is that, you know, sometimes the things that look the worst are fine and things that look perfectly fine. Like I think a lot of the stuff that you guys deal with are not, um, for right, right. There's a turns reasons. out, right. Like there's, yeah, there's all this like yuck factor versus risk factor. Yeah. Uh, well, and with the, with the whole worm in the turnip thing, trying to figure out like, I mean, I don't know if you know this, Ben, but there's not a lot of safety, uh, food safety information out there on turnip worms, right? Right. So, so when Rachel came to me to ask the question, I had to figure out like, okay, well, there's not a lot of information out there, but what, what would be, if I had to think about this, you know, like, like a microbiologist or, or like a, like a salmonella bacterium or whatever, like what, how, how would I go about trying to figure out whether this is risky or not? And it, and it really was a really interesting, um, it was a 
chance to, to sort of expand and think about things in a, in a little bit different way um, to, to try to, to try to give Rachel the information that she needed to, to write, to write a, a good, a good blog post. Well, and, and this is really like an interesting one, Don, I just sent you a message and, and Rachel, um, uh, maybe I can th- drop this into the, into the chat, but the you uh, know, worm, yes. worms are really, really here. You can probably see this. Worms are really interesting because they're not like, um, they're not all the same, right? Like, so you've got these like certain, certain worms, like, like the, the turnip worm, um, you know, based on, on the post and, and the work that you did, Don, isn't something that we would worry about from a, from a pathogen standpoint, but there's this, um, this uh, something called the rat lung worm that is is being um, really sort of emerged as a as a foodborne illness risk in Hawaii is right so you so I can't mm-hmm. as a, a, a you know as it, similar to like a microbiologist looking at a food I can't look at these two foods and be like um, or I can't look at these things and say uh, it's a worm. I don't have the skills to be like, is that the the rat lung worm or is this just a turnip worm? Like I really need to get to an entomologist to be able to identify those things. Um, and, and both become gross and one's risky and one isn't, um, or, or is very, very you know, low risk. Maybe it's just the introduction, opening up the turnip, allowing something to, um, uh, you know, bacteria or other things to, you know, other parasites to move in. Um, and so it's, it's one of these. You know, I'm working on two projects right now that that's really about how consumers or just regular everyday folks view food safety, and how that differs from from folks like like us, you know, Don, that where we're we're in the in the food safety trenches all the time, and it I, I'm I'm grappling with why like trying to justify to reviewers and to others why that matters. Right. And part of it is, I think is exemplified by this, right? Like I, I, it matters because of food waste. It matters because of that food waste leading to disparity issues. You know, if, if I can help people do a better job assessing risk, they might make better decisions, um, in, in food availability. Uh, and, 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 and it's all kind of wrapped up, right? Like it's hard to parse those things out, but this, this rat lungworm situation is, is a real, you know, it's a real, it's a real deal. And it's like a slug and it doesn't look like a, you know, a worm that drills into turnip and it, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit, but it's still, it's a, it's, it's a worm like item all the, all, all the, all the more. Right. And, and well, and to make, to make the whole rat lung worm thing even more complicated, there's a lot that we don't know. Like we, we know that, that the specific organism for sure is causes illness. Right. But we don't know necessarily what the risk factors are. Like, so for, like if you, we would definitely recommend that people not eat this microorganism, but of course people don't eat the microorganism, right? They, they may eat fresh produce that has been contaminated with it, but we really don't understand the exact mechanisms by how that fresh produce gets contaminated, right? And and I I think it's it's different than the the turnip worm because I don't think this is not this is not visible, right? Or right. or if or if the if the if the it's a nematode, right? And and if, and if it is visible, it's it's not something that people are typically looking for. It's not something obvious like oh hey, there's a worm in my turnip, right? Right. It's microscopic, right? And it's um and it's in the the larvae uh, of, of the worm comes from um you know, rodents, and then they can pass that to snails and slugs. Um, and you know, by yeah, so it's, it gets a little, a little complicated, but I guess, I mean, my, my thought here is a worm, a worm isn't a worm. 
right? From <laughs> from a from a risk standpoint, and it's and it's hard. And I, you know, what Rachel's doing, I, I really like, which is okay. Let's 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 dive deeper into worms, right? Like like is it yeah, yeah having a worm in a in a turnip? What's our what, what is the what's the risk, and how would we assess that risk, and how would a microbiologist assess that risk? Um, you know, versus versus someone else who who really just wants to eat turnip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, when I first cut into that, that turnip, it was my turnip. Um, it, <laughs> it seems like you get a lot of spoiled foods. Uh, well, this was this farm share from yeah. um, a couple of years ago, honestly. Um, but it, um, I thought the meat, the first thing I thought was worm and it's generally a worm, but this was a maggot. Um, so, which is, you know, different from what this, rat lungworm, which I guess is a, like you guys said, just said a nematode yep. and we're calling all them worms and, um, yeah, but they all sound gross and look gross. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't know about this rat lungworm. I just looked it up. It's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's one of these emerging things. Like it doesn't seem to be widespread, but boy, you sure don't want to get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, mm. it's one that we that kind of came up on our radar, um, I guess, about a year ago or eighteen months ago, and um, and, and you know, not not to wrap all all stuff up into lots of different issues, but this is the type of thing that I think we would expect to see um, moving to different parts of of the world that we haven't seen before, as you know, um, climate change and global warming becomes more of an issue, and how that affects not just foodborne pathogens, but also food disparity and food waste. I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff that, yeah, uh, f- food wise challenges that we're going to continue to, um, to try and grapple with. And, and yeah, and I, and I really, you know, I really appreciate your, your take on this and that's looking for science-based answers to, uh, is this something that I can eat or not? Um, and that's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool space to be in. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, it's really fun. So, yeah, and I, I appreciate help from you guys. And if anybody who is listening has any ideas for posts, I would love that. I'm always curious what kind of questions. Um, usually when I, I do an interview, I will uh, conclude by asking what questions people are getting. Because, um, you know, I know what I see and what people ask me about, but I'm always curious um, what you're finding is be- making people most unsure yeah, and you, I'm just thinking you must have a really interesting um, Rolodex, right? Because <laughs> you know, I mean, and it, it's it's funny because when when I was <clears throat> working with you on 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 some of these on some of these posts, um, I, I of course you know did a little bit of googling, and there's some things you can do. You know, if you if you know about advanced search, you can limit the search results to only .gov pages or .edu yeah. pages to drive drive university or government search results. You know, higher in the in the ranking. Um, but but you've 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 probably built up a really interesting network, you know, network of folks. Again, it sounds like probably a lot of plant pathologists, by people who study the diseases of plants, because if, if you're looking at, at, at things that are rotting or look a little bit funny, it's probably a plant pathologist that's going to be able to give you a good answer on that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. I have, you know, my potato source and my mango source <laughs> and, um, and it's, yeah, it, it's great. Um, and it's, and I, I just, I, I also just love that, you know, the, something that's, you know, is working 
in, in media, like I've always been a generalist, um, which is works pretty well for me, but I, I also just find it so fascinating to be really focused on one thing. Um, and, and to be fair, I mean, a, a number of people I, I interview, you know, focus on more than one crop, but, um, but still it's, it's just, it's very, it's, it's, it's so different from where I'm coming from to, you know, spend so much of your day thinking about say, potatoes. Um, and, and I think it's really neat. Um, so yeah. So, um, yeah. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say, so what do you, um, what, what do you do? What do you do next with this? Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to ask, what, what does she do for fun? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, is this, have you, uh, have you seen questions, um, questions or at least people that are, uh, providing traffic to the website or you're engaging with on, on social media coming from, from places that aren't just, um, you know, consumers in, in their kitchen. And, and the reason why I ask is we, you know, we, we do quite a bit of work with food pantries and food banks and, and eater toss is a real, is a real question in, in that space. Right. So it's it, it, like I mentioned before, we've got food waste and, and food disparity are, are really hard to, to pull apart. And so, yeah. so, so what, yeah. So where do you, where, where do your, where do you go? Where do you go with this? Um, my, so that's a really good question. Um, a lot of my focus is, on the consumer. Um, and right now I really just want to build up, up the content on the website as much as possible and cover as many topics as I can and cover them well. Um, in terms of, um, yeah, like, uh, you know, food pantry work and that, that is, and some of the people that collaborate with on the, um, the food recovery working group are, are doing a lot on that. Um, and so I kind of view my space as reaching consumers and what, so a little more context on that. Um, there's a, a group called refed that, uh, have, they're, they're, they're really great. And they have brought together a lot of the research on food waste, um, and kind of have all this cool data about, um, you know, which solutions are most effective in which areas and, uh, consumer education is actually one of the top solutions that they've ranked in terms of food waste. Um, and that's, um, so backing up a little bit more, another number that they offer is, um, food waste in the United States. Um, I may not get this exactly right, but I think about 40% can be traced to, um, households. And then another, 40% ish can be traced to consumer facing businesses. So a lot of food waste is coming just from choices that people are making. Um, and, and those consumer facing businesses, they're probably going to have the, the extra food that a group like, um, food rescue us could ideally pick up, um, you know, at the end of the night and, and deliver to a nonprofit. But, um, they're also dealing with a lot of plate waste and I don't really that's not something I get into too much on Eater Toss. I do have a recipe for uh, extra French fries. A lot of people say that French fries are, um, you know, oh, they don't reheat well. You don't want to take them home. But I really like to just chop them, dice them, and then saute them with eggs and vegetables. And it's actually 
delicious. Sounds pretty yeah. good. Um, well, in fact, that's, yeah, that's if you're going to really make, good. yeah, if you're going to make hash browns, that that's the recipe is first you cook the potatoes, right? <laughs> and then, yeah. and then you recook them. So if it, make, it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so given all that, and then I know that there are people who are doing good work on food rescue and that I can, and there are ways that I can support them, but I, I do want to reach somebody just like in their kitchen. Um, because that is such an important role of food waste or such an important part of, you know, um, why people end up wasting food. And, um, and what I hope is that, you know, I tend to spend time with people who think a lot about food waste and how we can reduce it. And, um, and I'm glad to be reaching them, but who I really want to reach is somebody who maybe doesn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but, just encountered an onion that's green and they're not so sure if they should eat it or not. And they're not thinking about food waste, but they look up green onion and then they find my website and then they don't throw it away. Um, well, and that, and they also so now that, remember, Hey, there's this great website out there that might give me uh, answers to questions like similar questions that I have in the future. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> and, and maybe they poke around just enough and then they realize maybe they do care a little bit about food waste. Um, but, <laughs> but you know, when you're, when you're debating, when you're like, your dinner plans have been messed up because you find something that you're uncertain about. Um, that's when you're at risk of throwing away food, whether or not, you know, the messaging that's out there has reached you that food waste is an important issue. It's in that moment, it's really personal and, and you don't want to mess up your dinner. Um, so, so that's kind of where I am right now is just getting as much content up as I can. Um, and hoping that people find it. Yeah, and I've I've interacted with uh, the refed folks, and uh, we'll definitely link uh, link to their website. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting, and it gets it gets com- some of these issues get complicated. So where I think yeah. I, I've worked most closely with the refed folks is on um, uh, shelf life dating for foods, um, yeah. and there's a lot of controversy over safety bait safety-based date labeling versus non-safety-based date labeling. And everybody, my perspective is everybody in the food industry is interested in other products other than the ones that they make having safety-based date date labeling, but nobody wants (laughs) safety-based based date labeling for their own commodities or their own products. Right. And so, yeah. and so it gets, it gets political and it gets complicated, but, and speaking of political and Ben, I think maybe you've done some work with this and I know our, our buddy, uh, Brian Numer in, uh, in Utah state has done some work on this with the idea of leftover restaurant foods. And, and Brian yeah. does a ton of work with the folks at the casinos, um, in Las Vegas because they have a, you know, obviously a lot of food, uh, yeah. and also maybe a lot of homeless, uh, and, and, and underfed populations in Las Vegas. And, it turns out that you know politically and 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 maybe even scientifically as well it gets it gets complicated so but but the thing, I think you've worked in that area a little bit Ben yeah no I, I have and and um actually trying to um work with with a few other folks on on expanding that work um so just to bring Rachel up to speed we've been doing a project for the last four or five years uh with with an individual in the Charlotte North Carolina area um and the the Program is called Stew of Sustainability, and the guy who runs it, his name is Tom McKernan. And and Tom came to me a, a few years ago with this idea of like diverting, not not plate waste, but like banquet and institutional food food um, that had not been served but had been prepared, trying to divert that to to food pantries and. 
and but he want he was really concerned about the regulatory aspect of and the regulatory hurdles of diverting it. Um, he wanted to uh, help people bag it and freeze it or bag it and refrigerate it. Um, and so we we went through a whole bunch of different iterations on like vacuum sealing and and there are lots of different weird food safety things that pop up on that. But but that were mm. we we actually just had a I just had a conversation on Friday with a few other folks of looking to expand that and looking at what are the what are the barriers to doing this? And, and I see it, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to follow what, what happens in the world of food waste, um, at least adjacent to, to the food safety world. I see this, this real interest in even people in their homes, um, maybe making too much and wanting to share that food somewhere else. And, and not, you know, I, I think like Don and I, um, you know, this is something that that we've approached um, in a in a similar way. Our, our traditional food safety microbiology folks, uh, you know, when when someone says, "Oh, I want to I want to share food from my house to other people," um, you know, everybody's alarms go off uh, on. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're gonna, you know, it's a potluck and everybody's gonna get sick. And and the you know the the approach that that I think Don and I have taken on this in in general is oh well, there are safe ways to do this and there are unsafe ways to do it so how do we do it in the safest possible way and what are the barriers to that and is it practical and and so yeah that's kind of where where we're at in expanding this this project is looking outside of just um, hotels and 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 uh, caterers to other places that may have leftover food and and like I said I'd love to get into um, at least exploring the issues around how do you, you know, how do some of these, um, uh, I guess, connection apps or uh, organizations that that take you know take food and, and connect with with others, um, how do they manage food safety and what what are they doing well and what are they doing not so well and how do we improve that? Yeah, and so, and so, yeah. So I think your stuff's right in the right in the center of that. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to hear more about what you're finding um, and and what you what you do find if you make more of those connections. Because yeah, um, I yeah work with several groups that do that kind of thing, and I think I mean I I went to there's a group in um, uh, suburban Maryland called Community Food Rescue, and I went to one of their I, so I haven't, I haven't volunteered for them, but I went to one of their trainings and they, they, they emphasize a lot of the things that you guys talk about, um, you know, in terms of keeping things cool. And, um, you know, there was a lot of demonstration of like how to pack your car with the, with the food, but that was more, um, taking stuff from, you know, like a banquet to, um, a, um, a shelter to be consumed like that same day. Um, yeah. So well, and, and that's one of the things that we're trying to like, it, I guess, in, um, expand is okay. So, yeah. so what if that same day isn't doesn't fit the food distribution schedule, right? Like, how do you yeah. how do you try to keep it? What's what are the limitations in freezing it? Um, some of the stuff that we've really encountered being a um, uh, questions to to focus on are things like allergens, right? Like, so in the commercial food world, we're we're very 
um, you know, the, the businesses, whether it's a really small business or a really large business that, that we support in food safety, they're really concerned about like making sure that they communicate ingredients and hidden allergens, right? So, and, and I think in the food waste um, distribution and um, uh, diversion world, that sometimes that allergen information gets lost or it's or it's not sort of posted as this is important for for a certain portion of our population so we want to do this but we also don't want to expose somebody to like tree nuts um and you know or or and we we had a, a guest a while ago um who um uh, um, who talked about some issues related to pine nuts um, yeah. that, that he had. And, and so it's like, wow, you know, here's another situation where someone says, okay, this is pesto. Um, and, and let's get that information. Let's get that food to people, but someone may be susceptible to, um, to pine nuts uh, or, or, you know, or, or whatever. So we need to, we need to conserve the information of what's in there. And that's like, it's a challenge, right? Because, because yeah. we're, we're trying to divert, you know, hundreds of pounds of food or whatever it is. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that this, this makes me think of, and it's a little bit off topic, but the whole idea of this burgeoning, um, cottage food, uh, industry, right. And people making foods in their homes to, to sell. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's, and that's a big, a big thing. I think New Jersey is the, the last state in the country to still not allow any form of uh, cottage foods, but it looks like the, that, that battle is finally beginning to be won by the home bakers, uh, group in New Jersey that, that have been actually filed some lawsuits and things like that. And so, so, uh, cottage food, um, you know, and, and, and farmers markets too, right? I mean, and what the commonality of all these things are is that where people are trying to, you know, diversify the food supply, uh, source more things locally. Um, but, but what it means is that people that maybe are, are less familiar with food safety, uh, are having to make decisions or having to, to, to make some management decisions about how to make sure that what they're doing is safe so that the, the, either the, the food that they're selling out of their own home or the food that they're donating, um, doesn't end up making somebody sick, which would be, uh, you know, against the whole purpose of what they're trying to do in the first place. Yeah. So, so one of the, one of the things, um, that, that I like to ask all of our guests or many of our guests that are on, especially folks that aren't in the food safety world, um, it is really like what are the things what are the things in food safety that that you worry about like that you make decisions on um in your home or as you go out to a to a restaurant is or is it something that that you worry about or or think about at all is food safety something i worry about yeah like in yeah. Your, oh. in your own yeah in your own like you know preparing a meal or choosing restaurants to or even grocery stores to shop at Oh, um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think a lot of food safety in terms of, you know, my, like eater toss food waste, um, work, but in right. terms of just making my own choices, um, about like where to go, um, not a lot. I, I generally trust, um, where I'm shopping hmm. with, with some, I mean, um, my, local grocery store, sometimes the bathroom's not in the best shape and that makes me a little right. nervous. Um, and, um, so I think about that. There, there is a, there's a 
place at our farmer's market. Okay, I'll, I'll mention something about our farmer's market that I'm a little afraid to yeah, share. Yeah, perfect. This um, is good. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what we were looking for. Yeah. Um, so um, we have, it's, it's great in DC, um, in each ward, there's a, a place where you can drop off your compost. Um, and this happens at the farmer's markets, usually on Saturday mornings. And um, so I drop my compost off there. And what I usually do is I drop it off and then I duck into that, that grocery store I just mentioned with the not always as clean as I'd like bathroom. Um, and I wash my hands. Um, but they, a lot of people don't do that and they just, you know, dump out their compost into the, the bins they have and they have some hand sanitizer there and then they proceed and do their shopping at the farmer's market. Um, what do you think? Like, well, so let's take, before we answer that question, let's take yeah. a step back. What is this dropping off your compost thing? Because what we do oh, yeah. is we take we take our vegetable waste um, mm-hmm. and we put it into a black bin in our backyard, and then magically we just fill up that bin, and then magically it never gets very very full um, uh, because yeah. of things breaking down. Um, and 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 then eventually, obviously, if we need to fertilize something, we'll pull stuff out of the bottom of this bin. But so so tell me more about this whole this whole it would take oh. your compost someplace system. Yeah. So. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm in the city. I don't have a, a yard where I can compost. Uh, okay. and that, yeah, I'm yeah not, that makes sense. Um, I, I do have friends who have worm bins in their apartments, and that's just – that's very intriguing to me. I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that level. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it's a pretty nice service. Um, you go to the farmer's market with – so I, I'll collect my compost, um, and it is only, like, you know – vegetable and eggshells, no, no proteins or dairy. Um, so you just bring it in a bag or in a reasonable container and then they've got basically just big, um, garbage cans. Um, and then you dump it in there. They've got a wooden spoon you can use if there's something that's kind of sticking. Um, and then you can make sure you get all of it out. Um, and then they will, I think, take it to, I'm, I should know. I know some of the people who manage it, but um, uh, some of it, I think, ends up going to some of the community gardens in the cities. Yep. Um, but there's so much of it that I think some of it has to go to some kind of large-scale um, compost facility. Um, and, and, yeah, and that's it. Um, for me, it was, it was great because <laughs> it, it's really made it a lot easier to compost. Yeah. Yeah. So um, no, this, so this, and of course this is my, like, um, uh, well, I don't, I wouldn't say where I live is the suburbs, but it's certainly not, it's certainly not the city. And, and it's like, it just sort of my naive thing about, well, why, why wouldn't you have a yard where you, of course, right, right, right. Everybody's city. Got a yard. and I'm just, I did a little bit of uh, Googling here and yeah, there's, there's a, New York city has a, a, a program for you can compost your food scraps. It may, it makes perfect sense. And before we completely get to the point of answering your question, I do sure. want to mention, um, uh, the whole idea of vermicomposting uh, that is using yeah. using worms and we did uh, I did actually get into this at some point and um, uh, it basically it ended up being a little bit complicated to to manage just because it's a lot easier to take stuff out to a even in even in the winter to take stuff out to the to a, a container in the backyard where you just sort of throw it in and, and don't think about it versus the worms actually need a little bit of management and you have to kind of mix in uh, shredded a newspaper uh, in with uh, in with the the food waste, and you have to be careful about what you put in there. Like I, I uh, sort of 
you know, did, did my worms um, some harm when I put too much citrus in because the oils and the citrus can be a little toxic for them. It is a lot of fun to do, um, uh, but it, it, does, it, does, it does take some effort to manage it. And then theoretically at some point you need to kind of separate uh, separate out the, 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 what's good soil then from the worms. And then, you know, you ha- so it, it does, it does take some management as opposed to just throwing it, um, into a container in the, <laughs> in your backyard and forgetting about it. Uh, so yeah. at one point I just took all my worms and, uh, you know, put them, less, dumped them into the container in the backyard where I then continued. <laughs> Compost the worms. Yeah. Well, yeah. Man, that, that, you know, I said, I, I, I set them free then is what I did. I set them free. Um, but <laughs> Uh, you know, this this idea that this might actually be a food safety thing is an interesting one. And I, I guess I would say um, having hand sanitizer there is a good job, is a, is a good thing to do. Um, yeah, I would I would like to see people um, maybe using the sanitizer and or washing their hands before they go into the grocery store and handle things that they, you know, they're like, oh, this apple doesn't look very good as they pick it up and touch it with their compost laden hands and then <laughs> set it back right. down. Right. So I would, I would say that there's probably, uh, the, I would say the food safety risks there are, are minimal, especially if you're only composting vegetable stuff, right? You're, there's no raw yeah. meats and things like that, which, which would maybe have a higher chance of having pathogens. But, uh, I would say it's a, you know, certainly it's a, it's, it's Ben and I often talk about something called the yuck factor, right? So the yuck factor of somebody, uh, spooning their compost into a, a container and then not washing their hands and then going off and handling, handling things that I may then later purchase that there's definitely a yuck factor there, but food safety risk wise, I would say it's obviously nothing's ever zero, but I would say it's, it's pretty low. Um, Ben, do you have a perspective on that? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the a likelihood of bringing something, that has a pathogen into that composting situation. Like composting is, is uh, akin to trash, right? Like it's, it's stuff that I'm not going to eat, but the part that, um, that was, you know, attached to that compost or where, what, what generated that compost is food that was eaten. And so I would say that the risk is, is similar to, um, the risk of the food in the first place. And, and, you know, for, this is a comparison that, that I make quite a bit, you know, we, we do see millions of cases of foodborne illness a year, but we have billions of servings of, of food a year that, that don't make us sick. Um, and, and so I would say that it's, yeah, it's, it, it's probably pretty low risk, but again, it's gross. Cause I don't want someone's um, the idea of someone, someone's hands that were touched, you know, that they've said that this is, this is trash. This is non-edible. Um, I don't want them then uh, coming to handle um, food at my, my farmer's market or my or my grocery store. Uh, we the the other thing that that changes the risk profile of this to me, and it's not it, it's really little to do with the compost, but more about Don's point about uh, washing hands um, when entering a grocery store or a farmer's market or using hand sanitizer or whatever it is. Is I think that's it's also seasonally different. It's different um, as we get into this time of year where where norovirus becomes more prevalent. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so, so I'm, you know, it's a, it's a hands and norovirus issue, not a, not a compost issue. Um, but I, yeah, I, I would always, I would always encourage someone to have, um, some hand hygiene, you know, uh, situation, uh, in between, um, uh, in between when someone enters from the outside and touching food, I guess to be the most general as possible. Well, and I would even make it more general and I would say anytime it's norovirus season, 
um, <laughs> you, you should just worry about being around other people. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now there's people out there that are listening to this, um, uh, and, and going and putting hand sanitizer. Uh, one person on in specifically. Um, one person <laughs> specifically who's probably listening, uh, maybe, maybe next norovirus season. He's kind of behind on his podcast, but, um, uh, but, but I would worry about anytime you're going into a public place in norovirus season and we'll, and we'll, we'll, there's a really cool, uh, CDC graphic, um, that, that basically shows, uh, that it's basically no, it's, we're, we're right in it right now. We're, so the end of November to kind of the beginning of, uh, April is, is high norovirus season. So, oh, and just before we completely leave the vermicomposting, um, uh, topic, I do want to mention, there's a, a lovely book out there that I got when I first got into vermicomposting, which is called Worms Eat My Garbage, which, uh, which is just a really, uh, delightful, fun, uh, cartoon illustrated, uh, book. And would, if anybody is, is intrigued by this and listening to this and wants to get into vermicomposting, I would, I would highly recommend, uh, getting a copy of, uh, Worms Eat My Garbage. It's, uh, it was just, it was, it was the book that kind of got me into it. And I just found it to be a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun to read. There's other books out there, but, but this is the one that, that, that I like and that I read. I'll, uh, I'll give a shout out to, um, uh, vermicomposting specialist that we have here at NC state, Rhonda Sherman, uh, who is my go-to person for anything worms. Uh, and in our department of horticulture, she's really, she's really great. We also have worms. I didn't mention that. Um, and we've, this is our third iteration. Not in a bad way. Yeah. Not in a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> we also have worms, uh, show title. Um, my, it's my third iteration of worms. Um, we've, we've killed two previous iterations by them getting drowned by water and, and like hurricane events that we have here in North Carolina. Uh, we now have our worms very protected, uh, on our front porch. Uh, and we also have a really big, like, uh, black bin in our, in our front yard and, and sort of practice a hybrid of what, what Don, um, talks about. And, um, and, and it's, I, it's one of these things where I, I, I don't, we, we, you know, in our home, I don't think we've like measured the difference between what we're doing from a food waste standpoint, but I do, I, I don't know. I think like, I know I'm not putting stuff in the, in the trash, um, since we've, we've gone down this, this path of, of both vermicompost and, and big black bin. Um, and I, but I also, am like, um, I just load it up. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll take a, a load of, um, like last night we had trimmings from, um, uh, cauliflower. Um, we had a couple of sweet potatoes that had started to, um, you know, uh, uh, got soft and, and started to ferment and leak a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, totally gross. Uh, <laughs> but, but I was like, Oh, no problem. Like I'm not, I, it's, it, it's a, a weird, like personal situation where I'm like, Oh, cool. More for the compost. Right. Like, which isn't the right, like, it's probably not the right way to look at this, which is <laughs> well. why am I leaving sweet potatoes in my, in my pantry for like, you know, five weeks or whatever. Why didn't I eat that sweet potato? Well, yes, yeah. but at least it's a it's a it's like second tier solution. I, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a it's a bad thing. I, I feel I feel less bad about when stuff does get rotten that I I can do something with it other than you know true. put it in a landfill. So true, true, true. I, oh. um, there's some interesting studies on this actually that um, people are more comfortable wasting food if they know it's going to be composted, and that huh. um, if you compost. Um, you sometimes waste more food. Um, I, I can really? see this. I, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's really complicated because obviously we want everyone to compost and composting is so much better than putting food in the garbage. Um, 
but yeah, there was a study that um, Ohio State did where they, hopefully I'll get this right, um, they had a buffet, they, they invited people in for this, you know, buffet study. I don't think they told them what they were doing. Of course they didn't. Um, and they said, you can have as much food as you want and we're going to compost whatever left over. And then they give them some presentation on something else. Um, and they did this obviously with one group like that. And then with another group where they didn't say anything about how they were going to compost the food and the people who, um, knew the food was going to be composted left more on their plates and put more in the compost bin than the people who did the, who just put in the garbage. Um, and there's a NRDC also did a study that had similar findings. I don't remember the details on what they did, but they came out with a statistic that was kind of along those lines. Um, and, uh, and the EPA has this nice thing that they put together, um, called the food recovery hierarchy where they kind of rank food waste solutions and they put compost just above landfill. And I think I'll send you guys a link to it. Um, there's like all these other things you can do with the food before you compost it, um, that they would prefer to see happen. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's, yeah. it's I found I found the Ohio State uh, article. It's in the the article title is uh, "Food Service Composting Crowds Out Consumer Food Waste Reduction Behavior in a Dining Experiment," which which looks like really interesting reading. Yeah, it's the the psychology of it is really cool. Um, I, I think like food waste just generally because like, there's there's so much going on. Um, there's a lot of I mean there's like this like the, like composting. Like I remember I was at something once and um, I. I get kind of weird at catered events or anything where there's like a lot of food out. Oh, do like, tell, do like, tell us more. Because um, toward the end, I'm like, oh my God, there's a lot of food. We've got to do something with it. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then I'll like kind of try to figure out who's making the decisions. I usually have a container with me. Um, and, um, but I you know, generally want to check in before I start like shoveling stuff into my purse. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, but what's really interesting to me is that it is more socially acceptable to waste food and like a scenario like that yeah. um, than it is to kind of intervene and be like, hold on, this is good food. We don't want to throw away food, um, which kind of, I mean, it's different from the, the compost thing, but there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. I can, I did a, a story on this that I can send you guys. Um, and yeah, yeah but do. it's, um, so much of it is just changing behavior. Um, and then a lot of, an, another, like, as long as we're on this, um, another interesting detail of it is what people see versus don't see. Um, like some huge percentage of people believe that they waste less food than everyone else. Like, of course, <laughs> a statistically impossible percentage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're also they're also better drivers than everybody. Right, else. right. Yeah, well, and, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, we see has... we see this exact same phenomenon in in uh, in food safety on optimism bias. I mean, that's the sort of psychology um, determination of that. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm way better at food safety than everybody else. Everybody else's stuff is going to make you sick. I'm fine. Um, and and it's a, you know, it's, it's just a a phenomenon that's, uh, that's a human attribute that, that you have to, um, take into account anytime you're trying to, um, change behaviors, uh, you know, around anything, right? Like it's not just food or or food waste. Um, so what do you guys do about that? 
Oh man, <laughs> I I don't study it. That's what I do. About it. <laughs> don't. I I study bacteria uh, in the laboratory, which are, are, are equally are not equally frustrating. They're frustrating, but at least they're more predictable than than people. Ben, ben, Ben's, Ben's the one that takes on the challenge of studying people, which is really difficult. It's true. Um. So, uh, what do we do? Well, one of the things I guess that um, the world of of food safety has has turned to, um, over, I guess over the, the course of my career, and it's and it's this it's not me, it's not just me. There's lots of people that have moved into this. Is is trying to um, meld psychology, education, um, you know, knowledge change, behavior, um, in, in, and looking at th- at theories and literature that's worked in other areas around risk and apply it to to food issues. And, and that's, it, it's, it's still, I, I, and I, I've, I've probably said this for like 10 years, it's still kind of in its infancy. Like we, we are not, um, we're, we're not in the same, uh, position that the world of nutrition is, and they're not in the same spot that, um, smoking cessation or, or using a, um, uh, a, um, a, a seatbelt or, um, you know, other risky behaviors. And again, that's an, in food safety and, and risk. It's different than waste, which isn't a risk question. So how we look at things is a little bit different. Um, but, but it, I mean, how we, how we have largely tried to solve the problem is looking from looking to other disciplines as to what works and trying to build any, um, intervention, any education program, any training, any anything that we're that that we're really targeting behavior change on those theories. And for the, when you know, sort of looking at at how how science works historically in the infancy stage or the early stages of any discipline, people just try a lot of stuff and 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 throw a lot of things at the wall, see what sticks, um, and and then over time start to apply oh what is it the like what are the theories in psychology and and how do we how do we use those and and i you know i still think we're we're there i don't think we have a real good answer for it um i i gave up i gave a talk last week um uh, about uh, observation. I do a lot of observation research. Um, and I mean, similar to Rachel, to the study that you, you shared, um, uh, what you're saying is you, is you trick people. I trick people. You you trick people so you can find out what they really do. We deceive them, Don. (laughs) And, and some of our funders who might be the federal government don't like the word deceive, but that's their deception. Is it better than trick? Is it better than the word trick? I don't know. Um, but we, I mean, we basically put them into a situation where we don't tell them all the information and we want them to react, um, like as close honestly. to, yeah, yeah. honestly, yeah. Like they would at home. And, and, and it helps us, um, it, it, like even just get, getting to the granular side of things. We just did a project looking at washing poultry and yeah. how, how I define poultry washing is not how everyone washes poultry. And that like was humbling and also kind of shocking. I was like, Oh, I've, I've watched, I've, I've seen people wash poultry. I could, how would I wash poultry? Well, I would spray it in a sink. Um, and that's about 70% of the time. That's what people do. Um, but people submerge it. They fill up the, the sink itself. They use salt and, and lemon. Um, they sometimes will run under running water. Sometimes, uh, they use a sprayer. Like, so, 
so I think we're trying to answer these questions by better understanding what people do. And, and I don't, you know, that's a real roundabout way of answering a question about how do we, how do we fix this? We, I don't think we have a really good sense, but the first step is really understanding what the behaviors are and then getting into why those behaviors exist. Um, and that's all at its infancy still. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause when I listen to the podcast, I, I hear you talk about this and I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, well, aren't they on their best behavior because they know they're being watched to make sure they're handling their food safely? No, no that's because they but, tricks them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what, I, I'm so curious, what, what do you tell them they're there for? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question. We, um, so we tell them that they're here, uh, testing, uh, new products, new food products, uh, or, uh. um, and, you know, so in, in the in the chicken washing, we had we we have to like construct a whole backstory <laughs> that is like that I like from a like, lie, Ben. Let's it's call a it lie. Is. You have construct yeah. a lie, a deception, Don. <laughs> it's a deception uh, from from its. Uh, so so we really have to like we we recruit people saying um, we want you to come be part of our kitchen study, and uh, the kitchen study is about preparing food. Um, and then, so far, no lies. So far, no lies. <laughs> and then when they when they get there, and you know, going back to the to that specific study, we said, okay, what we really want to know, we've been contracted by a company that makes a spice blend. They're an entrepreneur, you know, a cottage foods manufacturer, uh, uh, food manufacturer here in, in North Carolina. They think they have the best spice blend for for chicken, um, and they've contracted NC State to help them test this spice blend and how people will use it and where it'll go on on chicken thighs and. And how it's going to be applied, and what people think about the aroma as they roast it. So, so we 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 deflect all of the things that we're really interested in, which is do they wash the chicken? By telling people um, we're interested in all these other things, other attributes, oh. um, and then at the end. And so, I mean, it's not a full, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it's not not a full like deception where they walk out not knowing what they were a part of. Um, we we were. Uh, we we do this uh, because it's minimal risk to the participants. The information that we keep from them doesn't shouldn't impact the risk to them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what we say at the end is, all right. So here's the real focus of our study. It was on food safety. We wanted to know um, specifically when you wash that that chicken um, how you did it. If there was a pathogen there, where it might have spread, um, how you clean and sanitize afterwards. Uh, we were interested in hand washing. The the spice stuff is is not our primary focus or objective at all. Um, and and then we give those individuals a chance at that point to remove themselves from the study, um, and and say you know because we've already collected the data, um, but but we'll we we remove it from the from the data set and and in in few. Cases they, that happens, they they uh, remove themselves, or or uh, and in one one case that we detailed on a uh, on a previous podcast uh, last year, one one participant got really upset about it um, that we deceived them, uh, and w- which is like uh, the first time that 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 had happened um, as I've been running these studies, and so it sort of takes you know causes you to take pause in, in how you do things and. And reevaluate um, how we communicate these things, but but yeah, I mean, we we essentially um, deceive them and and say um, you're here for this one reason, and then get them thinking about that, so they'll they'll just react in the way that we really we want them to be natural in the thing that we really want them to we really want to study. Yeah. So when they when you give them the option to remove themselves, then you just delete that data that you collected from that person. Yep. 
Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And and it um we we on the size of these studies we're we're usually um somewhere in between 300 and 400 individuals. So so removing one person or removing 10 people um doesn't doesn't really affect our our outcome and and really if it did we would just recruit more people. Um, to to get where where we need to go, but we don't want to we don't want to put a, a person into a situation. I, I part of our institutional review board um, at NC State, and and I I really recognize by doing more of this research that we don't want to put someone into a situation where they um, that there's any impact to them. Uh, uh, by doing this research, whether that's like psychologically or physically harm them. We, you know, we have a responsibility as researchers to protect our participants um, and, and make sure that they're aware of, of all the risks that, that exist to them and that we discuss that um, and it's reviewed bef- beforehand um, with, you know, through our system. And it's not just like NC state. There's a, there's a, a federal law that, that governs this, um, you know, human subject research and, and for a lot of reasons. I mean, it goes back to times where, um, uh, we in the, in the scientific community used to do a lot of experiments on individuals that didn't have a choice and, and where experiments were done in, um, in, uh, prison settings, uh, with, with sometimes with groups that, um, didn't have the ability to, to provide informed consent. And, and we can't, I mean, we just can't do that. So, so we have this whole system to, um, to sort of um, level that, that playing field and, and protect our participants. Um, so, yeah, so we really um, we want to make sure that people know what they're getting, what they're part of, and that their data is their data. And they still, even if someone removed themselves from the study, we incentivize them for their time. We, we absolutely, obviously, would still um, pay them for their for their time. Uh, we just we we would delete their data, and and they would not be part of the um, the study anymore. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, th- I think that was I think that was episode one sixty three entitled uh, "Grown on Chia Pets," and then we we revisit it in in the next episode one sixty four. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure from the show notes that's when we talked about it. So that was uh, uh, in uh, just about a, a little more than a year ago, September twenty eighteen. Yep. Oh. Hmm. Cool. Uh, um, so, oh yeah. So sorry, Don. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say it, maybe that's a show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that might be sure. Yeah, uh, Rachel, is there anything else that you that we didn't ask you about or you wanted to mention? Um, I have a general question for you guys. Yeah, sure, um, we're here. Uh, yeah, um, about um, leftovers and how we define leftovers. Um, I think so. I mean, you tell me. I if I'm remembering right, I think it's like generally three to five days is kind of the amount of time you have when you put your leftovers in the fridge. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, yeah. So, the, the, well, so, first of all, yes, the recommendation, the USDA food keeper recommendation for leftovers is something like three to five days. But what, um, uh, what people may also know if they've heard us pontificate on this subject before, um, that number is for the most part completely made up <laughs> and, and has, and has relatively little scientific basis as to whether it should exactly where the, where the three to five, uh, days came from. Right. Well, so. and I'll, and let me, let me back that up. I think I know where that scientific basis is and it's, and it's based on, um, and this might get too, too nerdy for all of us. Um, well, maybe not Don and I, no, I um, want to know. Yeah. So, so I, Don, I think where it comes from is the the line that um, that 
uh, FDA and others have drawn on listeria growth in one log. And the assumption that someone's home refrigerator is not at 41 degrees, that it's more like 45 degrees, and that if I have leftovers um, and there's listeria monocytogenes in it, that I would get, on average, one log growth um, at four days. And that's where someone says, oh, well, four days, well, that's really strict, so let's just call it three to five days. And, and, and one, and one log of listeria growth, let's say that that's an acceptable, you know, level of risk enhancement. (laughs) I, 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 I think that you're just lucky that when you, when you put punch that number in, that's what the listeria number comes out to. I don't, I don't, I really don't think it's that, it's that scientifically based, but, but I'm, I'm willing to be proved wrong if somebody wants to show me the, the math. But, but don't you yes. think that's where the, like where the, that number, I mean, that's where the number comes from in the food code of, uh, uh, of four days. Like that's the justification. In I, the, that, I, yeah, I would, I would want to, I would want to, I would want to see the, 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 the appendix part of the food code that get that, that shows the, the, that information. But I, so I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be skeptical because I right. know often these numbers, I mean, we've been telling people leftovers for, for three to five days since before, well, since when I started, um, which is before we had predictive models for listeria or people even knew what they were or used them. So, so I think that they're more based on historical common sense. Um, Fair enough. And we can, we can back into them with some numerical justification, but that's all it is, is backing in with numerical justification. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. Okay. That's a really interesting answer. Um, I, I th- that was my setup for my question. So, um, <laughs> that was even your question. <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, I, I was wondering how to define leftovers because there are so many things that we do keep in our fridges for much longer than that, that seem like, I, I don't know. I'm thinking like cream cheese um, or um, things that are like a, I don't know, like a jam. I guess a jam's got a lot of sugar in it. But um, like, or, or even you know, I've seen recipes that say this will stay good in your fridge for seven days. Um, and I don't know how scientific these recipes are being. I imagine not very. But um, what or like homemade applesauce, like like things like that. I, I understand, you know, leftovers as in like, you know, chicken and mashed potatoes, but like, where do you draw the line between things that should follow this, I guess, arbitrary three to five days versus things that you can leave in your fridge for a couple of weeks and not worry about? Yeah, well, I'll I'll come, I'll come back to the the kind of the safe harbor answer or the the answer that I won't get into trouble with with my bosses for giving out right okay. um, is just to refer people to um, the either the Food Keeper app, uh, which is an app available for Apple and Android, or you can go to foodsafety.gov uh, and you can just search for the Food Keeper app. They've got a, an online version that you can use right from the web, um, and those those numbers are relatively. Good. Um, uh, so let's see. So uh, the, the the website says this was developed by the USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service with Cornell University and the Food Marketing Institute. Um, exactly who who at those institute who at those uh, in those groups developed that? I don't know. But they're but they're but they're good reasonable answers. The the more complicated 
scientific answer, I would say, would depend upon um, food characteristics you alluded to, jams and jellies having high sugar, which means that they have low water activity. Uh, They also have low pH. And so we could basically take the pH and the water activity and we could plug it into some computer models for maybe some spoilage organisms like yeast and molds. And again, with some sort of um, agreement that, okay, well, this level of increase is what we're going to say is, is acceptable. Um, we could, we could go back in and, 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 and sort of back into those numbers and, and see, and see if the information, um, uh, on the food keeper app matched that. And it, it probably comes uh, pretty close. Um, I, I, I'm now, my, my confidence, however, in the food keeper app, uh, is now shaken, uh, because I see <laughs> oh. that if you look up leftovers, uh, it says, um, uh, without meat, fish, poultry, or egg, uh, parentheses, such as cooked vegetables, um, which is, which is misspelled. So vegetables, um, is, is not, is not the correct, uh, <laughs> it's not the correct word <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's how I would go about answering that question. So the, the, the easy answer is use Foodkeeper app or use foodsafety.gov website. The complicated answer is, well, let's give me, give me the, the, the full specification on the ingredients and then we'll pick some, we'll make some assumptions about pathogens or, or spoilage organisms and food and, and home temperatures, et cetera. And, and, and then we could, we could get a more, a more scientific looking answer anyway. Yeah. Okay. Did, did you have what a about- perspective on that, Ben? No, no, nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a specific thing that's my fridge right now that I'm really wondering about is um, some very old molasses, <laughs> which <laughs> is sugar, right? Yep. But yep. really old. Like how old? Um, um, so we moved into our current place like two and a half years ago and they moved and with it you came with. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point I hadn't used it for I would guess two years so it's maybe yeah like four year old molasses probably more so I would uh, so from a safety standpoint I'll take this one I, I would say that it's really 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 low risk um, I, but um, my, but my, my guess is that, um, over that time, if there were any, um, yeasts that, um, that were there, uh, in the molasses refining process that they've fermented some of that sugar and created some alcohol, um, which is a different, different kind of risk. And, and I would, I'd, I'd say that that's a similar situation that we would see with, with honey. Um, as well, but from a foodborne pathogen standpoint, um, I, I would not, uh, I would look at that as really, really low risk. There, there is, um, a little bit of research, a little bit of stuff in the literature, looking at molasses as, um, being a source for, um, uh, Clostridium botulinum spores, uh, similar to honey, uh, but it really only becomes an issue in in feeding it to infants. Um, and, but but again, that's there's some debate even in the literature on whether um, molasses is is a is a actual source uh, for the that infant botulism. Um, you know, finding the spores and then them actually leading to illnesses in infants are, are two different things. And, and in fact, we've only really seen infant uh, illnesses um, linked to honey um, and not not molasses, as far as as we can see. 
Yeah, and, and I'll just chime in and say that the Food Keeper app uh, says for freshness and quality, this item should be consumed within one to two years if pantry stored, six months if pantry stored after opening. So you're well beyond uh, what the Food Keeper app would tell you is appropriate to do. Um, but I, I completely agree with Ben. Food safety risks are are really minimal because it's even if you were to drop uh, salmonella in there. Um, you know that low water activity environment over time, salmonella is going to going to die. So even if you if you flung some, if you were washing your chicken in your sink, which we don't recommend, and some of the chicken juice <laughs> got flung over into the molasses, um, uh, it, when you lived in your old place, um, it, would, right. it would it would be it would be long uh, long since uh, gone uh, probably uh, by then. So uh, yeah, so so it's it really is more of a quality thing. It's definitely not a not a safety thing. Um, you know, and again, it, it would be a, it would be a good Good uh, fermentable carbohydrate source. If you wanted to make alcohol, it would be um, probably a, a nice addition to uh, compost because it's you know it's got simple simple sugars in it. It probably would would compost quite readily. So uh, I don't know what would happen if you if you fed it to your worms. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I can make my cookies with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know what I always tell people is. Yes, if you want to use that to cook with, that's fine. Just don't plan on serving that to anybody that you really want to impress because in case, in case it doesn't turn out. So, but yeah, cookies, cookies should be fine. But again, I would, uh, you know, and again, we all, this is, this is, this shows the, the, the 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 conflicting information we tell people. On the one hand, we're always taught to tell people, well, you can't, you can't, smell or see pathogens, right? So, so don't use the sniff test. On the other hand, I would say with the molasses, yeah, look at it, smell it. If it looks okay and smells okay, it looks like molasses, smells like molasses, it's probably fine to use as molasses for cooking. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to make some ginger cookies maybe this weekend. <laughs> use up that molasses. <laughs> yeah. And please that's, write about it on the happened. blog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Probably will. Yeah. No, I was, I had this recipe for ginger cookies that we really liked and then we just kind of forgot about it and the molasses was still there. So, um, yeah, the other thing that's in our fridge right now that I've been, um, very unsure about is some kombucha that's about a year old. Ah, here we go. Um, and, yeah, and I like I I've actually never had kombucha. It's just never I've never really felt like oh I really want to drink this acidic juice. Um I know a lot of people love it and um and these just kind of like came into my possession and then I just never felt like it. Um but I want to try it if I can, but now I'm, you know, obviously it's a pretty complicated thing. So, what do you think? So kombucha is one that, that comes up for me quite a bit because we work with, with restaurants um, on um, things that are outside of the food code that they want to do. And, and all, in our state, kombucha is not handled – like I can make all the kombucha I want in a restaurant um, without asking anybody for regulatory um, help in the food safety realm. It's controlled by our Department of Agriculture beverages. And then where things get really interesting with, with kombucha, and this is something that I would um, – uh, something that would be a concern with one kombucha that was in my fridge for like a year, um, is that uh, if there's still a SCOBY there – in the kombucha, it can continue to ferment and then give me instead of like less than one percent alcohol, maybe up to like six or eight percent alcohol, and that oh. yeah, 
and and so so that's a different type of risk, um, especially if you uh, feed kombucha to kids. Like my kids have had kombucha a few times. Um, yeah. So so it's it's so one one of the things. Um, that I've kind of recommended to people who are making their own kombucha is to also invest in a, um, uh, it's a, a, a hydrometer that can help you figure out what, how, what the alcohol percentage is of what you make. And oh, so, cool. yeah, so you can get them on, on Amazon for like less than 20 bucks. And if someone's doing this a lot, um, they're, it, it's a, a good, uh, investment. Um, but, but we, you know, Don and I have fielded some questions on kombucha recently, um, where, you know, most, many of the concerns are, um, commercial or homegrown just over fermenting and leading to, um, more alcohol production because it's not, it's different than what you do in, in wine or beer or distillation, um, where you're, you're constantly checking that alcohol percentage. Like that's part of what you're trying to do when it comes to kombucha. It's kind of like, um, there it's, it's unpredictable, um, on how much alcohol gets, gets produced. And over time it's going to be more if the, if the fermentation is still happening. Yeah. And there's a, there's a pretty good uh, web page on kombucha on uh, Colorado State, um, and it does talk a little bit about food safety. And one of the things that – and they've got a really nice, disgusting picture of uh, uh, kombucha scoby uh, with mold growth. Um, oh. And there are – yeah, there are uh, toxigenic molds that could theoretically get on your – get in, in or on your kombucha. So um, – and again, and after a year, after a, rather a, a yeah, a year in the fridge, I think you said that's um, uh, that's a long time, and it's probably does probably doesn't taste that good for sure. So yeah, and okay. and we, I just sent you a link in the te- in the text chat, um, and Don for the um, mm-hmm. for the show notes, a paper that uh, our friend Brian Numer uh, wrote. Um, uh, on um, on this for uh, NEHA, National Environmental Health Association Journal of Environmental Health. Um, looking at uh, issues and risks associated with uh, kombucha fermentation at retail. Hmm. Cool. 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 Well, yeah. Rachel, thanks. So, I mean, thanks so much for for joining us. Um, this has been. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, and thanks. And also, yeah. I just want to say thanks for for doing Eat or Toss. What a what a amazing resource for people. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that if I when I, if this was out there when I first started uh, doing extension before there really even was an internet, I would have definitely I would have definitely bookmarked this on my uh, on my Gopher uh, my Gopher page or whatever. So uh, yeah, this this it's a it's a great resource and. Certainly anybody who listens to this podcast um, who has these sorts of questions. Um, I really like the idea that you, you know, you, you bring your perspective as a journalist, you, you do your research, you talk to experts, and you sort of distill it down to a language that, you know, to, to answer questions the way that normal people um, would, would think about them. So, so thanks, thanks, for, for do, thanks for being a guest, of course, and also thanks for, for doing your website. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, like a lot. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. So, and if anybody, seriously, if anybody listening has ideas or anything, I would be here from them. So sounds, sounds good. Cool. And, and thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and we'll link, link to, uh, your website in, in show notes at eater talk or eater toss, not your talk, <laughs> uh, eater toss, uh, com. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Thanks for being thanks, on the show. Guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. Bye.
cool. Yeah, that was a good one. I I I, I, I apologize. I I don't I'm I don't know what happened. I think that we lost power to the entire house Whoa. in the middle. And so, but of course it was not at night. Um, so all that happened was my internet went out and then all of a sudden my external monitor, um, turned off and I just had my laptop and it was, a, crazy. It, was a, it was a, and then, and then I, I figured that out afterwards because then my, um, my, uh, uh power for my treadmill started beeping, which usually it does after the, the power reset. So huh. I don't know. I don't know. And it's not stormy or anything here, but, uh, yeah, something, something weird must've happened to the power in the neighborhood. But anyway, so, but We're it sounds totally like fine. you, you guys, yeah. you guys kept talking and, and Maybe I, people wouldn't even notice if. Uh, well, I did uh, mention that you dropped off, but oh. then you dropped back on. So I'm not like I don't think we need to even edit it out. Um, no, but I yeah. but but this is mine, and I will. So oh. I will need your your audio. True. I thought this one. Oh, yeah, I guess it is yours because I did the one in uh, in Idaho. Yeah, with cool. uh, uh, Brian Adams. With Brian Adams. Brian Adams. <laughs> Summer, Summer of ninety two. Summer of ninety two. <laughs> All right. So now that we're in an after dark, I did send yes. you screenshots yes. of the food code that that highlights oh. a Listeria modeling in nineteen ninety seven, and and the annex says this is what the change came from. So, well, and, all right. So this is before wow. me, right? Like, cause I didn't get into food safety until after 1997. So as long as I've been around, this is what I, what I think the reason why we say leftovers are three to four days. Wow. Well, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm so impressed that it actually exists. I know I didn't like, and, um, so anyway, uh, we can uh, link to that. And of course, this is my favorite part. Do you know that the, the FDA actually links the way back archive on their website, not, like they haven't archived the food code on their own website. Someone else is hosting this. Yeah, I, I think that they've started. I've noticed that they've started doing that. Um, That's probably because stupid. it means that the URL will not change. Uh, whereas FDA, I, FDA website has been a, 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 a mess lately. I mean, because they they change stuff and then you can't find stuff, or they they even have their own links that don't work. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, they yeah they have like a little thing at the top of the page that says you're viewing an archive page I collected at the request of FDA using hmm. Archive It, which is uh, I don't know it just seems like what if Archive It gets taken over by the Russians? <laughs> and then, could be taken could be taken over by the Russians right now. now. We, don't we don't even, even know. know it. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, anyway, so um, okay, so I sent you that, um, and then you found everything else. I think. Um, that was good. That was really cool. She was she was a great guest. Yes. Um, yeah, it took a, it took a little bit of to kind of find our rhythm. I think just uh, because of whatever. But uh, but yeah, in the end, I think it's a, it's a good it's a, it was a good episode that people will like. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Oh, okay. So are we we have two things. I have two things on an agenda for sure. the after dark. Um, number number one is let's figure out when we're going to do this again. <laughs> and then <laughs> yep. I, all right. So two weeks from today is not fantastic. What about oh, what what does the twenty sixth look like for you? I'll be in Japan. Oh, that's that's not good for Well you know, recording. it's not good for recording. It's not good for recording at all. When do you leave for Japan? Um the twenty fourth. Would you like to record something next week the twenty second? That's a Friday. Maybe that's not the best. Mm-hmm. Or next week, the 21st. Um, next week, the 21st uh, is actually pretty good. Okay. I have a class that I'm teaching that starts at 145. So we could do 
very comfortably like nine thirty till noon, and that gives I've, me. I, yeah, I've, I've got to be somewhere in uh, downtown Freehold at 1130. So okay. can we start at 9? Yeah. We'll okay. We'll start at 9. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, 9 to 1130. Yeah, 9, 9 to 11, and that gives me half an hour to get yep. to uh, my thing at 1130. So. And I'm holding till 1130 because – and I, I thought this was <laughs> – so the reason – because now I'm, what I'm doing is holding time so I can edit right afterwards. Yeah, so, yeah perfect. Um, yeah. All right, so we just did 198, right? We did. Holy crap. I say that every time. All right, 199. Um, all right, so that's good, 21st. Uh, and that gets gets us back like a little bit because we were a little more than two weeks today. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's, that's item number one. Um, item number two was CFP related. Okay. So um, on my list of things to do, um, and which I'm, I'm – clicking off that list right now, um, is, uh, just checking in with you on whether you need anything for the CFP keynote um, on, uh, March 30th. That's what I asked you for your bio and, um, picture for. Um, and so to like re recalibrate what we're trying to do, the, the whole idea for the workshop is new foods and new technologies, and you are, um, you're really kind of running the like opening this this whole thing up by talking about in general risks and risk management at retail for new and emerging things. Um, the stuff that's emerging, like new foods and new technologies that we're doing, and I'll, I think I think you have the agenda um, from. Um, that uh, um, that Rich sent or Rich's assistant. I don't know that mm-hmm. for sure. Okay, so so basically, we're talking about like lab grown meat um, and you know uh, edible insects. Um, uh, uh, um, the right term that's not just pot brownies, but like herbal infused foods that may have THC and CBD in them and other compounds. Um, uh, Thinking about um, like how robots are used in food safety, uh, yeah, I know, um, and um, and then using like AI and um, social media um, for for epidemiology. It's kind of all that stuff. But what we're trying to do is get you to set the stage. So, um, I, what like I just kind of want to leave it open for you on almost saying, all right, I, if I'm if I'm a food food safety person at a retail setting, here are the things if I, as, as we're expanding our, our products to these types of things, here are the questions that I want to, I would want to ask, um, about how we're handling it, what we're asking our suppliers about, like just kind of like taking a step back and and talking about what are risks. And then also maybe in a, you know, as you think about this, things that aren't, that that someone might perceive as a risk associated with this, that you don't see as, as, as a, uh, as a priority risk. And so like, like on the, the example on that would be like, regardless, regarding like, uh, worms and edible insects, right? Like someone's like, oh, this is, this is gross. Um, we need to, we need to do something to manage the yuck factor, but the, the, but the real risk is maybe how do we keep salmonella out of, um, dried edible insects or, you know, or something like that. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I I need to I need to because this is going to be a completely new talk, right. but it it sounds like it might grow out of an old talk on risk assessment generally, right? And so it's just a matter of like you know let's all right, what do we mean by risk, right? What do we mean by hazard? What's the difference between risk assessment, risk has risk management, and risk communication, right? So starting. So that we're all sort of on the same page about risk, and then and then and then think about it. okay, so uh, edible cannabis and botanicals. Like so, what what look at that from the point of view of a risk assessor and a risk manager? Three uh, D printed foods. L- look at that from the perspective of risk assessment, risk management, lab yes. room meat. Same thing. Edible yep. insects. Same thing. So so just sort of like. How so? So here, here's what we mean by risk, right? And then, and then, sort of me to to frame it. Okay, if I was suddenly tasked with doing this, what are the questions I would ask? Right? Yep. How would I, how would I how would I you know construct a, a, a risk management framework or risk assessment risk management? Fr- how would I how would I do a risk assessment on edible insects? Right? How would I do a risk assessment on lab grown meats? Do like a quantitative microbial risk assessment, right? And not do one, but how would I do one? And what are the things I would think about? Exactly. And I, and I know that like. You know, at a a somewhat high level, right? Like, like this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what? You know, even if, even down to, um, you know, here's what I would look. Here's here are the types of things I would look for in the literature. Maybe right. they exist. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But this is this is where I would start. Because um, I think a lot of the folks that are going to be in the audience for this are some of these things they've not been introduced to before and they're at the local and state level or they're at a, at a, you know, at a restaurant and someone is going to want to include this in their business model or include this in something that, that they regulate. And this is a starting point for them of, okay, here are the things to, that I think we should worry about. So how would I, how would I go through that? Like that process? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, so yeah, so that's what we're, that's kind of what we're looking for. And now I've now I can check my box. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do I do have the the um the letter uh, the letter from Rich, which is a oh it's actually hmm it's it looks like it's a scanned PDF. I might have uh, I might have uh, I might have OCR'd it. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look like it was it's it's not it's not a PDF that was generated from a computer because it's got signatures on it. But yeah, I think um, it's, it is yeah. it is uh, it is ed- readable. Uh, it is like you can cut and paste from it. But yep. that, that may be because I did that. <laughs> I don't know. I have a, I have a habit of doing that. Yeah, uh, you so might have because I can't. I don't think I can do that from mine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I OCR'd it probably. So anyway, yeah, so it's good. I'll, uh, I got to think about that, but not, not yet. Cause it's, it's yeah. a while, it's a ways off, but, but yeah, that's, that's helpful. And you've already asked for, I think one night of hotel or something for it. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. It's, I have it on a list. I just want to make sure. Okay. That, yep. Yeah. So you're all, you're all good in that. Cool. All right. That's, that's perfect. Um, yeah. And I think. I don't know if I, I think I might have already booked my, yeah, I booked my flights already. Um, and I'll definitely be there. Oh yeah. And then there's a workshop dinner, um, yes, on the Sunday, s- Sunday night. Yep. And I've, and I'll, I should be, I should be in Denver before then. So cool. I'll be there for that as well. Um, and I haven't heard, so I'm going to follow up with Brett. Do you, have you like booked flights for December in Louisville? Did you get any more info from him? Do you know what um, I'm talking about? I think yeah. it's the ninth. No, it's the tenth of December. Um, Do you have that on your calendar? 
Yeah, I okay. do. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did book flights. Okay, I have not, um, but I will. I will do that. That's my only. That's really my only travel that's confirmed, and like for the next long, long time. Hmm. Uh, but I'm gonna try. I, this is on my list today. I'm gonna see if I can get in and out on the same day. Do you know? Did he tell you? Do you have an actual time for when we're doing this on the tenth? Like um, in your calendar? I don't have one. I just have I, all day blocked out. I have uh, four to five. Let me let okay. me check. That could be right because I think it's up against a reception or something. Yeah. Let's see. So this is Louisville. That actually could work on this practice, but I'll be back on Wednesday morning. Yeah, so uh, there's a document entitled RRT 2019 F2F Agenda, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it has the time, yes, uh, four to four to five uh, Food Safety Talk live podcast. Perfect. So there's there's a there's a f- uh, attachment uh, that's dated October 17th, so got probably got it on, on or around that. So. Got it, got it. I'm putting it in right now. I okay. have, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? You got, got anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> Were you- no, no. Oh, um, oh, oh uh, what are we doing with risky or not? What should I, well, I gotta, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get busy and, and, uh, uh, make some episodes, um, from the raw material we collected. Um, we should probably, you want to set another yeah. time to record that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. So do you think – okay, so do you want to do that after you get back from Japan? Yeah, for okay. first week of December. Yep. I might have to go uh, – all right. I know – okay. I know I need to be back in Raleigh. On the 5th of December, I might be away on the 3rd or 4th, maybe, um, on this CPS project, but we don't have any funds yet and nothing scheduled. So I'm still hold, I'm holding something there. Okay. How about the 2nd or was that a travel day? Well, it's not, I don't know. Um, no, the 2nd is not a travel day because I've got to give a guest lecture on the 3rd in the morning. So I may be flying out after that. Okay. So... I could do any time, um, any time before one o'clock on the on the second. All right, let's let's do ten. Okay, that, that works for you. Yep. And block out like two hours again. Yeah, let's, let's do two hours. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I have I'm um, I got a couple of texts this weekend, which is my uh, risky or not um, source uh, <laughs> that I'll put into the um, the Dropbox. Good, and I got I got a, a couple that I've been doing in Drop, and then Dropbox and the Google Doc or yeah. the uh, Google Sheet. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, so awesome. so just uh, please remember uh, put the audio in to Dropbox for me. Yep, I will do that. And do you want it in just in FST? It'll be one ninety eight. Um, I'm off of Dropbox right now, so let me turn it on. Yeah, have uh, you upped it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't renumber things. Um, all right, here we go. Podcast. Um, let me cut and paste, and then make that uh, one ninety eight. Cool. I'll throw it in one ninety eight. All right. Yeah. So now, so now there should be something called one ninety eight there. Uh, just put yeah. Just put the the raw big audio there. Yeah. Um, 
and then um, that's cool. All right, awesome. Uh, I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. There it All is. Right. I see one ninety eight. I'll upload that right now. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.